You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The crossover between art and politics has been with us forever as one has powered the other to create change in the world. But how are artists finding their political voices in 2019? Today, we're going to talk with two artists who are working in that space right here in Southeast Michigan. Omar Offendum is a Syrian-American rapper and spoken word artist. One of his interests right now is Little Syria, one of the first homes for Muslims and Arab immigrants in New York. And Bridget Quinn is an artist in the University of Michigan Stamp School of Art and Design. She has been focused recently on water and water pollution in Warren. Bridget, let's uh, start. Uh, Has your artwork always had an environmental focus? Yeah, so um, uh, I've always been really interested in um, how my creative practice can sort of support um, new relationships between me and um, the people and environment around me. Uh, About 10 years ago, I was living in Austin, Texas, and my artistic practice was really dominated by making sort of public art interventions in public spaces. And one thing I started to notice is how um, a lot of the funding I was getting was from business improvement districts and cities that were really trying to sort of um, gentrify parts of the city. And so I started to have a more critical relationship with the type of work I was making. And um, when I moved to Detroit in 2013, I was looking for ways to sort of turn my practice away from making physical objects in space and really sort of use my artistic practice to sort of cultivate an art of awareness of what's around me. Mm. Uh, And there is something inherently political, I think, about the messages that you're that you're sharing here. But but I always wonder with artists whether that drives the art or whether the art drives the politics. Oh, it's so hard to separate the two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, f- I feel that they're very much inseparable. Um, for me, um, uh, the art sort of um, becomes a way of getting to know the world and to sort of define um, the set of relationships that I want to have with the world. And that's always in flux. The more I get to know about where I live and the beauty and also complicated dynamics at play and the sort of trouble of those places, the more I'm able to sort of cultivate a sort of hopefully a more responsible and caring relationship with the place I live. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Omar, tell us about Little Syria and why you've chosen uh, this area and its history as sort of the launching pad for the for the art that you're doing. Well, uh, thanks again for having me on the program. It's really uh, it's really great to to hear about art in this sort of perspective in this light. Um, you know, I'm a rapper and a spoken word artist, and I've been making music for over 15 years now. Um, and a lot of it has been more sort of personal, just about my experience as you know, a Muslim, Syrian, Arab immigrant. Etc. Um, and that's taken on, you know, different forms over the years, you know, lending my voice to different humanitarian relief efforts for refugees, um, just talking about general xenophobia and racism, profiling, etc. Um, but, you know, recently I became a father uh, three years ago uh, and also just again three months ago and um, been thinking a lot about what this next generation story is going to be. Um, and 
Uh, my wife is not American. Her father is, I mean, sorry, is not Syrian. Her father is black. Her mother is Jewish. And so we have this sort of multi-ethnic, religious, multicultural mm. situation at home. And in an effort to sort of be more anchored here and in the story here, um, I started to dig deeper into the history and realize that there's a sort of forgotten chapter uh, about American history a lot of people don't realize and know about. And that is, um, you know, this neighborhood uh, that was in the Lower West Side of Manhattan from 1880 to about 1940. Um, and it was basically the hub of Syrian migration from, from the Middle East, from the Arab world, which was then sort of the Ottoman Empire. It was the waning days of the Ottoman Empire. And a lot of incredible writers and artists and philosophers and you know, thinkers came up during that time. Khalil Gibran is probably the most well-known. Um, in fact, he's the third highest selling poet in human history, which is pretty wild. Mm. Um, but it was this sort of fleeting experience that, you know, uh, because of basically Wall Street and eminent domain and battery tunnel, et cetera, ended up, you know, basically being demolished, uh, as were many tenements down there in that, that lower part of Manhattan. Uh, and folks are sort of pushed out. And in addition to that, there was this really fascinating sort of component of, of assimilation and, and, you know, trying to gain access to whiteness, which we're sort of still dealing with today as, mm. as Arabs, um, as far as like which box do we tick, you know, on these <laughs> awkward census things that show up every now and again. Um, and so it's just, there's just a lot of really interesting stuff to unpack. And I think for me, you know, I'll be honest, watching Hamilton sort of just opened up Pandora's box as far as the possibilities of people being able to take in, you know, these historical, you know, narratives and stories through, through the lens and framework of hip hop. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm just adding a different component as well, because we have this really long-standing poetic tradition in the Arab world, and specifically in Syria, this tradition of storytelling, the hakawati is what we call it, where people sort of gather around an elder who tells stories, often in rhyme. Uh, they have sort of lessons, parables about life in them. And, um, and so this, this little Syria experience is kind of more of what I like to call it. It's not really an album per se. It's more of a performed live experience that brings together storytelling, poetry, hip-hop, uh, live music. We've got really fantastic instrumentalists that are joining us, as well as beat-making, beat live beat production, and just reimagining what, um, what three, I guess you could say, like mus musicians-slash-artists living exactly 100 years ago in that neighborhood might have been going through. Mm. And, and, you know, our lives as musicians sort of parallel theirs. So yeah. uh, that's kind of that's what it is. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Bridget Quinn, an artist who currently attends University of Michigan, where she's a graduate student in the MFA program at Stamp School of Art and Design. Also with us is Omar Effendum. He is a Syrian-American hip-hop artist, poet, and activist. We're talking about the intersection between politics and art. What drives one or the other? One thing that strikes me about the two of you is is the power and importance of place in your work. Uh, yeah. That these are very deeply rooted pieces in a place. Uh, can you talk about the relationship between that place and the work? The the idea that that uh, these messages that you're trying to get out uh, are are inspired by a physical place in the world, uh, Bridget. Yeah, um, yeah, my work is very much place-based. 
And um, one thing that I've always been really interested in is how nearby ecologies, even in the city, can reveal so much about the history of the city. And one thing that I also really value about these places is that you know, oftentimes people feel a really strong sense of disconnection from the physical place that they inhabit. And living in the sort of in industrial world that we live in, I think that that causes a lot of hardship, both because um, we're sort of um, in this um, culture of, of constant consumption where we can't see the impacts of a lot of our daily behaviors because some of them are on the other side of the world, or maybe because we are sort of engaging with a lot of mediated experiences, but not really coming into contact with the physical environment. And so um, with my work, what I'm really trying to do is to invite people to really come into their senses in the physical place that they occupy and to slow down and to really spend time observing those places. And um, oftentimes very unexpected things can occur when you do that. For instance, in 2017, um, I was doing a series of site-specific singing improvisations with groups of people where we would go down into stormwater culverts and tunnels. Um, they're very resonant um, spaces that can make really beautiful sounds. On one of these trips, I accidentally discovered an oil sheen, which ended up being um, an illicit connection between an industrial building and the creek, um, which mm. was dumping, you know, uh, you know, over the over many decades, raw sewage into the creek. And um, uh, where I live in Warren now, um, a lot of the waterways are littered with no trespassing signs, and. Um, I feel that it's very important for citizens um, to sort of recommon those spaces and to occupy those spaces and to come to know them um, and appreciate them um, and and sort of fight for those places. Yeah, it's interesting. You talk about water in Warren. I mean, most of us who live here in southeast Michigan, when we think of Warren, we don't think of water necessarily. I would. I think most people would be surprised to learn that there is water in Warren. Uh, and, and I think even in Warren itself, uh, the idea of nature in that way has become an afterthought, that, that it's such a it's such a place that is wedded to industry and the idea of industry that, that it really has pushed all of these other things aside. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, you know, a lot of our waterways, um, you know, when the area was um, settled by colonists, were used as um, open sewers. And, um, you know, Oakland County still has a combined sewer system. Um, and we still have um, discharge events when we have um, uh, rainfalls that are... Big weather events. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and uh, you know... Um, so at one point, a lot of the creeks were actually um, uh, put into tunnels, um, and many of them are so far below the roads. And of course, Warren is very much a city of the automobile, and so most people really just pass through. But uh, if you look at a map, you'll see some green organic shapes moving <laughs> through the city, and those are um, places that are ripe for exploration. Uh, Omar, it, it strikes me that, that your work is really rooted in two places, right? There's this neighborhood mm -hmm. in New York, but that neighborhood calls to other places around the globe. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, talk about that interaction. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'll say like as immigrants, but as, specifically as people who are kind of fleeing most more often than not like war-torn places, um, 
and, you know, seeking economic opportunities, etc. And then also within just like the folklore of Arabic poetry, uh, there is this sort of longing for homeland, this sort of running theme, you know, uh, and <laughs> it's something that, you know, interestingly enough, I ended up seeing a lot of in, in the work of these writers. Um, and one of the fascinating things about Little Syria was that folks who had, had come there had almost immediately started publishing newspapers and kind of taking control of their own narrative. And I'm talking like 1880s. Mm. Uh, in fact, the very first Arabic linotype printing press was sort of um, reworked uh, in Little Syria. And that ended up actually affecting the way that information was disseminated in the Arabic language all over the world. A lot of these newspapers that they were publishing in, in New York on Washington Street were, were kind of um, distributed all across North and South America and back in the Middle East. Um, and so the idea of sort of taking, taking control of your own narrative and, and, and using, um, you know, language as a way to sort of further culture is, is really sort of central to this. But what's also fascinating is that you have the Arabic language newspapers. So people kind of speaking within the community, you have English language newspapers by folks in the community that were sort of being uh, created for the purpose of, of, of telling their story to, to Americans. And then you also have New York Tribune articles, New York Herald articles about Little Syria, which are often rife with like Orientalist sort of fantasies and, and just mm. like xenophobia and awkward language. Like if you read it today, it's just like uh, cringeworthy. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, so many of the same themes are just being churned out over and over and over again. You know, Syrians must go home. Syrians must be deported. Da 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 da. And it just kind of, it just puts things in perspective, um, I'll put it that way, for someone like me who's been, who's been doing what I've been doing for as long as I have and thinking that this is somewhat of a new phenomenon, but realizing it's not. And mm -hmm. so to be able to take a step back and then also, you know, thinking about what Bridget's been saying, like what's fascinating is that these folks kind of were living through this really uh, huge boom in, Amer in the American economy and witnessing these skyscrapers just sort of like, you know, bursting up into the sky right behind them, literally, like, you know, financial district of, of New York City. And what that meant metaphorically to them, coming from these often very simple sort of like village, mountain village backgrounds, and then, and then being surrounded by this opulence. In many cases, also the community, you know, especially like the second generation starting to become successful and seeing that money and that wealth, uh, affect how people were living and what they valued was a big theme as well. There's a, you know, a couple of really powerful quotes, but I'll just, um, I'll mention one. Mikhail Naima was one of these writers from what's called the Pen League, which was sort of like a joke. It was like the okay player of, of, <laughs> of their time. It was like a collective of writers and artists who put together publications and all sorts of things. And Mikhail is pretty well known as a philosopher writing in multiple languages. And he had a really beautiful book called The Book of Merdad. Uh, lots of parables and stuff. It's sort of like an older, wiser version of the prophet, if you can imagine. Um, and in it, he says, set not on anything a price, lest you be setting prices on your lives. Mm. Um, and, you know, uh, it's just, it's sort of like this notion of, of seeing how people, you know, attach sort of value to things that are monetary when for many of them, especially being rooted in these ancient spiritual philosophical traditions, they sort of, you know, they just wanted to kind of complicate and push back on that. Um, and and so it was, it was just a really interesting time for me to be inspired by, but then also to use as a lens to talk about a lot of the issues we're dealing with today. 
Uh, my guests are Bridget Quinn, an artist who currently attends University of Michigan Stamp School of Art and Design, and Omar Offendum, Syrian-American hip-hop artist, poet, and activist. We're talking about the intersection between politics and art, uh, the way that they influence one another, and the way that they show up in these artists' work. Uh, you can check out Offendum uh, March 30th at 8 p.m. in Ann Arbor, where he will be giving a work-in-progress performance of Little Syria, which shines a light on New York City's historic Arab-American neighborhood of the same name. Uh, I want to ask you both about reactions in the communities that the, that inspired your art uh, to to what to what you're doing, um, uh, Bridget. What have people in Warren said to you about? What you're, what, what you're putting in front of their eyes, I think, maybe in some cases for the very first time. Yeah, um, I've had a, a, a wide range of responses. Um, I'll say um, there are um, a lot of citizens that um, do attend city council meetings and um, are are looking for kindred people because, um, you know, all in all, there's not enough representation. Many of these meetings are completely empty. And so in a way, I've found some some kindred spirits in that, um, in attending those meetings and speaking at those meetings. And in the events themselves, um, oftentimes I've been really excited to hear about how oftentimes people really feel a sense of sort of calm and connection after the events that I host. Um, which is really um, important to me because I feel that we live in a culture that's just sort of riddled by anxiety. And in order to sort of be able to respond to the, the problems we face in a compassionate and clear-headed way, we need to cultivate a sense of calm and connection. And then I'll also say, um, in terms of the sort of political edge of my work, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, many of our city officials and many of the elected officials in Warren have been I'll just say um, not not very pleased um, uh, with some of the remarks that I've made, and um, I felt a little bit of a, a hostility, which, you know, as a, as a citizen who uh, has a genuine care for the health of the environment and the health of the other people in my city, I would hope that elected officials would, would share my concern. Uh, you know, that's that doesn't go for all of them. For instance, Kelly Collegio, um, a city council member in Warren, has been a wonderful partner, um, but there is a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. uh, Omar, uh, w w what goes on in this neighborhood today, and how are the people there reacting to what you're up to? Um, you know, so there's really no no strong trace of, of Little Syria neighborhood in the Lower West Side of Manhattan anymore. Um, it, it's There's like three building facades that sort of date back to that time. Mm -hmm. But the community itself, uh, many folks had ended up migrating into Brooklyn and other places. Uh, and, and some of their, their great-grandchildren are still are still there, you know. Uh, and so I've reached out to them. There's this organization called the Washington Street Historical Society that has been very supportive. Um, also here, the Arab American community in Detroit, um, and Dearborn has been really instrumental. There's the Arab American National Museum that has been so gracious and opened up their archives to me and given me support and connecting me with professors and scholars. Um, and we actually hosted an event there uh, just last week, um, and it was sort of just a discussion-based event about this time period and my process, um, inviting different scholars uh, who, who focus on um, different aspects of, of the Arab American experience historically. And, you know, my intention with the project was really to sort of be a bridge um, 
not just culturally between Arab and American, you know, sort of viewpoints as, as often most of my art has been, but really more so um, generationally um, between older and younger sort of um, members of my community, but then also the communities themselves. We, you know, we have these third, fourth, fifth generation Arab Americans here um, in, in the Detroit area, uh, many of whom, you know, have just very like sort of maybe faint connections left between their their ancestry and long for sort of deeper connections with with the newer arab community and i'm hoping that this project can sort of be be a way of kind of bringing those worlds together um making it accessible for people you know um to uh, to be able to hear and listen to the arabic poetry and writing that folks were were um were creating back then translating it for them translation is a big part of what i do as well um and then also just opening up the dialogue um more broadly about a lot of these issues that are sort of inherent to the community that lived there back then, but that are still a big part of what we're dealing with today uh, with each new wave of immigrants that comes, whether they're Iraqi or Syrian or Yemeni or who, what have you. Um, and so just to kind of like keep that conversation going, to keep bridging these different elements and aspects of the communities that I'm a part of, um, and hopefully creating something memorable um, that honors that time and those those the, the intentions of those writers, and at the same time, is still fresh and new and innovative, and something that young people can latch onto and be be inspired by as well. Okay, Bridget Quinn, artist who currently attends University of Michigan's Stamp School of Art and Design. Thanks very much for being here with us. Thank you so much. And Omar Fendam, Syrian American hip hop artist, poet. An activist, uh, thanks very much for you being here with us. My well. pleasure. Thank yeah. you. We're going to go out on Omar Offendum's song, Syrian Americana. Also remember that you can catch Omar tomorrow in Ann Arbor at uh, uh, his work in progress with Little Syria at uh, March 30th, 8 p.m. Uh, location will be announced at UMS.org. Fandom as soon as it is confirmed. You can also see some of Bridget Quinn's work on display now through Sunday at the University of Michigan Stamp School of Art and Design. It is part of the school's Master of Fine Arts thesis exhibition. That's going to do it for me this week. I will be back on Monday, and I hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. I'll speak with you again on Monday. There's land and silence, peace and harmony, Syria. Syria.